Network. Hi, this is Stephen Turek from the Freebooters Network. Today we bring you another episode of Ego, the 80s geek out. Before we begin, the head geek himself, Terrace Cassidy, would like to let you know about a new show that he's launching called Travels with Terrace. Travels with Terrace is a travel show where he explores tabletops with a miniature version of himself, journeying not only to his wargaming table, but to the tables of his friends around the globe. Please check it out on freebootersnetwork.com. We hope you enjoy the show. Out podcast. My name is Ian Clark, and I'm joined as always by the Venger to my Tiamat, Mr. <laughs> a. Bradford Anderson. Good morning, Brad. Good morning, sir. How are you? I am doing very well. We are going to talk about Dungeons and Dragons, which is something. Dude, yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> both, both of us love very much. I, I mean, everything on this show is the reason we're talking about it is because it's stuff that is important to us and means something to us. But this is one we've been looking forward to. I think it's safe to say. Yeah, it's. It's. I know we, we've, as we've kind of outlined what the the kind of the, what the shows are going to be like. You know, I know we bounced this around a couple of times, and I knew I knew it was coming, and I'm actually glad it finally arrived because there's a lot of childhood, amazing childhood memories and friendships forged, and just experiences that revolve around uh, the Dungeons and Dragons game and the things that are associated with that in our lives. Yeah, for sure. And so I was going to ask you because. As we were texting back and forth about what we were going to discuss and kind of the format and what we wanted to do, I sent you a link for a book. Mm. So I wanted to know, did you order said book? <laughs> um, it is in my basket right now currently, <laughs> um, and and it's always good because I, I, I take a lot of recommendations from you about stuff that is related to the content we talk about. And oftentimes it's things that were completely off my radar. You know, Sometimes you're more in tune with areas of certain parts of – um, what we discussed and I am, and I've lost touch a little bit to some degree, but then when I get these cue points from you and it just opens up that entire doorway of like, Oh, let's step back into my childhood again and revisit some amazing memories and, and, uh, it's going to allow me to learn. So yeah, the, the, the D and D kind of historical perspective book is in my, uh, is in my, uh, shopping cart as we speak. Nice. Yeah. So I'm talking about, uh, art and arcana. A Visual History of Dungeons & Dragons uh, by Michael Whitwer, Kyle Newman, John Peterson, Sam Whitwer. It's got a, um, a foreword by Joe Manganiello. It is if, – if if you're a D&D fan, if you're a fantasy art fan, this is a must-own book. Um, I get – I'm just plugging it because I love it. I, we get nothing for it. We, you know, we don't get any kickback. It's just it's – a, it's a beautiful book, and – the great thing is, is it's got a nice history of D&D and the artwork and, and how it all evolved, but it's got some beautiful double page spreads where they show you the evolution of some iconic monsters like the Beholder, the Red Dragon, Lich, all of that, where they show you the very first crude drawings right. all the way up to what 5th edition has now. Right. So things like that, you get to see these beautiful pieces of art with no, like nothing on them. Because so many of them were designed to be covers and have, you know, they have a little bit of open space at the tops and bottoms for the words, you know, D&D &D or whatever right. it's called. So seeing these pieces with 
just in their original form is really cool. You also get to see concepts. For example, the um, the famous Larry Elmore Red Dragon with the fighter uh, that graces the cover of the Red Box, which is the first D&D product I ever yeah. purchased, which we'll get to. That original concept, if you look at they, – they show you Larry's um, uh, original sketches, and there were several other – uh, party members there there's like a wizard oh. and yeah so it's it's cool to see stuff like that is how how the concepts began and how they finished and so just i can't recommend that book highly enough if you're a D awesome. and a fantasy artwork fan so yeah i'm happy you're gonna pick it up it's it's a really good price on amazon or obviously if you want to support a local uh local bookseller where they can order right. it for you um but it's it's I can't recommend it highly enough. It's a beautiful book, and it's a ton of fun to read and just study the artwork. So I'm, I'm happy you're going to be picking it up. Yep, me too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we are going to talk about Dungeons & Dragons. And again, this is the you know the, uh, the 80s Geek Out show, so we're going to talk about what was available during the 80s, but we should obviously preface it with a little bit of history of D&D. Uh, obviously, very first edition, 1974, Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson, uh, kind of the brainchild and, and growing out of um, Chainmail, which was mm-hmm. a miniatures game, and uh, which Gygax had kind of developed a fantasy supplement for, and Dave Arneson was was doing his own thing with his Blackmore campaign. So that all came about in 1974 when they actually put out the first 1,000 copies in the wood grain box, which is worth a ton of money now. <laughs> um, and then... They would obviously, with the popularity, do subsequent printings in white boxes. I am fortunate enough to own a white box edition. Um, it's the seventh printing that I have, and it's in uh, – the boxes, you know, got some creases and crinkles here, but my books inside are pristine, and I got it at a local auction for a really good price. So very happy to own that. That's um, amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do, I, I do like having that. Uh, and then in 1977, they kind of overhauled things, began to – kind of refine the rules give it more structure because those man that first that first edition there's it's not even called first edition it's kind of called original at this point which is kind of confusing we'll get through all that um it's there's a lot left up to interpretation so they tried to streamline it 1977 uh began to put out advanced dungeons and dragons first thing they put out is the monster manual which is crazy to me because it's like they give you all this, all these stats and things, but not really a structure for how to use it. Sure, right. And that, you know, and the Monster Manual itself was one of my, I think, first books that was that I think I got is either a birthday or Christmas present. Um, and you know, and anyone who owns it, you know, anyone who owns subsequent editions of it knows just how important it is. A as a book, learning about monsters and whatnot. But that was the definitive book that really blew my mind because you're looking at all these fantasy creatures of all different origins cave trolls whites demi liches dragons gnomes and it's just this you know black ooze beholders it's just this fantastic (laughs) world of things that i was not aware of as a kid per se until you get introduced and you were introduced literally in a landslide of information of amazing cool and the, and the little story blips that they give to you for each of the creatures in that is 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 amazing because then that opens doorways to connect creatures throughout the whole book and the series. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And we should mention too. I mean, the Monster Manual originally 1977. A year later, you get the Player's Handbook. 79, you get the Dungeon Master's Guide. Right. Um, 
crazy thing is you you couldn't it, the player's handbook doesn't even include everything for creating a character it's very strange there's some stuff in the dmg but anyway these again published 78 7, uh, 77 78 79 but were published all the way through the 80s right. so these were you know these were still the books we were picking up in subsequent printings right. um now they also decided to take the original Dungeons and Dragons and have sort of a second iteration that was available to people called the basic set. And the original one was in a blue box called the Holmes box because uh, it was John Eric Holmes um, who did kind of a rules rewrite. And that was followed up by the what they call the uh, the Moldvay version. Tom Moldvay did the next one. That mm-hmm. one comes with the famous I – own I own a copy of that. That comes with the famous – uh, it's like a purplish pink box with uh, that really cool kind of Errol. It's Errol Otis doing the artwork, and it's that weird. He's got a, such a cool, weird style. Um, that's one of my favorite pieces of D and D art. Um, nice. So, so that was available um, in starting in the early '80s, I think 1981 for that. And then they did another complete overhaul because I guess I guess TSR's thought was you've got Advanced Dungeons and Dragons which is a really deep rule set and a lot of things that you can do with right. it. But they wanted that entry point for kids. So sure. there's your basic um, sets. And then they did a complete revision of that done by Frank Menser. Um, and again, it was called the basic, you had the, the basic, the expert. They, a lot of people nowadays call it Beck Me. Uh, okay, B, yeah. Yeah, B for basic, E for expert, C for companion, M for master, and I for immortals. Um, Menser was the one that started that, and that, was the famous red box that with the Larry Elmore artwork. Um, So I wanted to ask, so, uh, and then we'll, we'll talk a little bit about second edition, uh, which came out in 1989. Right. But do you, you mentioned getting something for your birthday or whatever. Do you remember the first, the first D and D item that you acquired or were given or. I, um, it may have like all the books that I seem to get, it came and I'll, and I'll, and I'll just kind of give you the, the history of how, I came into it. Um, I owe a lot of indirect influence to uh, the Kashub family, Thule's, um older brother, um, Alan, and his buddies. They were about either three or four years ahead of us in high school. And as a kid going over her house, um, which was you know, about a mile or so from mine in Skowhegan, I it was one of those things. It was almost identical to the scene out of uh, E.T., which I also used as a reference point when they're <laughs> yeah. when they're playing D&D on the kitchen table. That was something that I experienced in you know firsthand at um, at the Gashub household, and I was just blown away because you're you you you're seeing like the modules. Everything was set up. They weren't playing it, but it was set up in such a way that you know I walked into. Um, it, I think they had kind of like a, an L-shaped living room. And on one of the tables in there, they actually had the full setup that um, Alan, I believe, and all his friends were playing. So I'm, like, looking at all this and seeing books and things that I just didn't understand and just kind of, like, overwhelmed. Like, this is this is amazing. What is all this? And you and they had figurines. And that – it was kind of confluence of event of, I would say, the D&D scene from E.T., um, the, the – and I and I, and this was something I re- remembered only yesterday was the Monsters and Mazes TV show with Tom Hanks. <laughs> right. That right. was also on '82. The Kashub uh, experience kind of brought me into this quick realm of interest of you know fantasy and figures, and I you know completely was oblivious up until that point because you know most of my friends that I was hanging out with 
we were all the same age. There were no direct older brothers or sisters of the immediate friend circle. So I think it was it was I think it had to have been in '82 when I put the request in either at um, for my ha- for my ha- Halloween birthday and or for Christmas that year. I got the bulkhead. I think the the um, monster manual. Uh, player's guide dungeon master's guide i think i got the those were the original first three and then within a year or so when i started you know um either mowing lawns and whatnot other books were picked up like the fiend folio um um then there was another uh, deities and demigods yeah um, and then later on which i which was the most awesome one which was i think the oriental adventures book do you yep. remember that one sure that one i think that was one of the last books that i actually got and you know maybe we'll we'll touch on that but so that was, you know, I got into it kind of in an inverted fashion. I got into it getting all the books first, and then none of our friends were playing it. But then, you know, some of our um, – and then, again, Andrew Dirkman, I, I owe a lot to him and his older brother because when he moved back to town, his older brother, John, was around the same age as Alan, Alan Kashub, and they were doing the D&D thing. So that kind of – it was a kind of a helix of experiences that kind of thrust me into getting into, you know – liking it and but and reading about it but not really playing it and putting it to application until we all started to kind of the wheels turning like we should actually not only read what we're what we're doing but actually begin to play it out and see how that works so yeah i would say that would be my initial exposure and foray into the dungeon and dragons world so what, what age are you talking what year where are we talking that AD&D? was 80, 82 or 83 oh, okay I think. so it's early yeah. on yeah, it was early on, but like I said, there was no application of the games. It was basically, I can't believe I own this book, and just reading through it and looking at the pictures, because, you know, it, it's it's fascinating when your mind is blown and you know it's a game, but you're, you know, and we've talked about this with some of the board games that we, uh, the board game um, episode we did, where we would acquire the game, but A, we might not know how to play it, or B, have anyone to play with, so it was basically you're sitting on a gold mine. Uh, of adventure but you just don't have anyone to play it with so <laughs> right well and that, yeah. that certainly ties into my experience yeah uh, which I'll, I'll get to in a sec but uh, so so you mentioned you know deities and demigods and oriental adventures and stuff so that that was all the ad and d stuff that wasn't yeah. basic so you were so do, do you remember do you even remember basic existing or was was advanced like it was, what i i was kind of more thrust in on the advanced side for the stuff that i had gotten um initially but you know, I whether or not when I was looking at at those you know at the Dirkman household or the Kashub household, they certainly it could have very well been you know the the early the early components of um, the D and D world, which yeah. it probably was because they were like at least four years four to five years older. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, that's cool. So that's a um, much earlier start for you. Um, and do you what about um. What about dice? Do you remember like in, in ever picking up your own dice or, or just borrowing stuff? Like there what was? Yeah, the, I mean it's and and again once you realize the application that and, and the importance of dice in this game and, and the varying types that exist, and I don't remember the play or the gaming box that I got. It, it, I I remember the color of it. I don't and I tried to look it up last night. I couldn't seem to find it. You might have a better. I mean, the artwork on the front of it looks like there's orcs or kobolds shooting bow and arrows. It was a purple box, um, and they – and it came with a couple – I think it came with a couple red dice, or red die rather. But then as I learned you know, that there are more die to be had, I remember – I think it was, again, the hobby shack down in, in Waterville yeah. was that other 
place that you know they had not only the miniatures which then you know opened up another whole dimension to the world of D D, but they had you know from it was like pull-up boxes it was i think it was almost like the honor system as i recall it wasn't like pointing to them behind a counter you actually pulled the die out of a pull tray box like you yeah. would store like nails or um <laughs> right. nails or screws in like your dad's workshop it was kind of like that so yeah and that's I, still I, common that's actually yeah. still common today okay. in hobby so that's in, good uh, to know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah it's funny you mentioned the hobby shack because and we've talked about it before, you know, in the in the JFK Mall there in Waterville. Yeah. That was a place that I I absolutely loved going in. I was, in, and again, we'll and it sounds like there's all this build up towards my D and D quote D and D introduction. There's not. It's just it's just we'll get <laughs> we'll get to it. Um, but I, for me, as a geeky kid, like my things were baseball cards and the old AFX Aurora race sets the slot car race sets sure yeah which they had in abundance at yes. um the hobby shack and is it did we talk about that is that was that the name of it i or i, I can't remember it's the hobby shack or the hobby i think it's the hobby shack or hobby shop it's one of the two okay. and i don't remember but we've said it both ways and it still fits because we both know what we're talking yeah, about, we know anyone, what we're talking about. Yeah. anyone who but, knows or experienced <laughs> it will know what we're exactly what we're talking yeah. about so <laughs> um so i would go in there all the time with my stepdad and we would get you know we had an awesome AFX slot car set up at, at home and right. we would get new cars and stuff like that or, or baseball cards and uh, models too. I always enjoyed, yes. you know, doing models, especially cause you could get back then you could get star Wars and Battlestar Galactica and all the cool right. ships and stuff. But I do remember seeing miniatures and D and D stuff in there at a younger age and just not just yep. thinking this is cool, but having no concept of what, what it was for. Right. Or, right. Yeah. And that's what, let me, I want, just want to touch on that. And, and sure. I, the exact same point to that, because my dad was a, um, you know, uh, RC plane and car builder, but he also built model ships. So we were constant and that, and that was the closest place for us to go. And, and I think I may have alluded to this, you know, on, on a distant past episode, but you know, my dad would get the, um, the real, and, and he would do some other types of models as well. Like the plastic models there, they had, were, were quite extensive, but he would buy um, the paints. I think I'm not sure if it's acrylic paints or whatnot. But he would buy various paints to work on the models that he was working with, be it the ship models or the plastic models. And that, and you're, what you said, the experience of seeing the figurines and and just while he's doing the shopping to pick up what he needs, you're just there as a tag along kid, and you're looking and you're being blown away, and you see the cards. And I do remember exactly, and I know exactly where it is. I know the store no longer exists, but I know exactly where the rack is and where the D&D figures and miniatures, Citadel and, and the other brands that were hanging there, um, Roll Partha. I remember exactly what where they were, and I just remember being looking up and how expansive and how massive it was and just being, look at all these amazing creatures. And that definitely predated my getting into D&D. I was just like, what is all this amazing, cool little figurines? Because we all had action figures, as we've all talked right. about as kids. But now we're using these miniature action figures that are in these wild poses of creatures, you know, unfamiliar to me that I've never seen before, and just like, what is this? But if that was, I would say that was probably early '80s. You know, my dad was doing, you know, um, late '70s, early '80s was when I was aware of him doing the modeling, the models, um, building, and whatnot. So it was always a treat to, you know, to travel with him. Yeah. So, so your introduction was was early '80s, yeah, and. So, you know, probably somewhere around 10 years old and stuff. That was yeah. actually right. And you mentioned mazes and monsters, the um, right. 
the the Tom Hanks show. So I did want to talk about the Satanic Panic. Do you now this? I wasn't into D and D at that point, so it kind of passed me by. Hmm. But do you do you recall anything? Do you do you recall your parents even questioning, saying, "Is this something you should be doing?" Or no, and 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 looking back, you know, I think I mean my mom. I, you know, it wasn't a strict household, but it was a aware household. My my parents always knew what I was into and what I was doing, so there was never any like secretive stuff that I was up to. So, and I and when you mentioned it to me to look into that, and, and I read up on it, reading back through it, I vaguely remember either my folks mentioning it or being something in the news, uh, either the newspaper or, or on TV, but I didn't, it didn't affect, you know, my ability to read through the books or the books weren't taken away. Um, you know, and I was surprised, you know, doing some of the reading on, you know, obviously because it's, you know, there were suicides tr- that trying to be connected to the, um, the gaming aspect of, of Dungeons and Dragons. And I was surprised that, you know, and again, that the eighties was a crazy time to begin with, with, with weird censorship things happening and saying no to drugs. So there was this whole almost like campaign from multiple fronts to kind of, you know, try to keep youth, you know, innocent and, and removed. But as at large, um, reading up on it yesterday was more, uh, more reminding me of what I didn't know about basically back then. Sure. You know, I remember it was vaguely maybe mentioned in conversation in the household, but there was nothing, I, there was no distant research or any, you know, um, things taken away from me as a result of, well, we got to be careful with you, you know, so. Right, right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, so for a little background, it was, um, there was an outcry about Dungeons and Dragons over whether or not it, you know, and you still see this to, to this day. I still see it passed around where you'll see from churches, there's like this little list of things that lead, quote unquote, lead to the devil. Right. And it's like, I, there's so many things on that list that I like that if you were going to summon a demon or be into the de- <laughs> devil, I mean, I would be, I would be so, so deep in right. devils. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's You're like, the oh, heavy, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, heavy metal music. Yep. Yeah. D&D. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it's like all this. So, so those lists are still out there, which I find That's amusing. amusing. Yeah, it's funny. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so a big push for that came from a young man named James Dallas Egbert III, um, who was a student at Michigan State University, went missing. Um, they brought in a, um, a private detective to look for him. They thought that he had gone into the steam tunnels under the university and was, you know, quote unquote, lost in D&D and believed it was real. And that led to the Rona Jaffe book called Mazes and Monsters, which was made into a TV movie starring a very young Tom Hanks, mm-hmm. um, which if you haven't seen it, it's worth seeing just to kind of see the propaganda aspect yes. of it. Um, but um, yeah, so so there was this big outcry and there was another woman. Her name was Patricia Pulling and her son had committed suicide and he had played D&D. So right. she she kind of, for whatever reason, connected that um, right. And she created a group called Bad, which was uh, bothered about Dungeons and Dragons, is what it was. So <laughs> playing wow. off like the Mad, you know, Mother's Day. Yes, totally. Thing. So, um, yeah, and she, it's funny because I looked into that more, and apparently it was like this movement, but it was almost 100% her by herself. Like, she didn't even really have many supporters uh, with it and everything. And, you know, I, I think, and, James Dallas Egbert, who they found later, he he wasn't in the steam tunnels, and you know he 
I think he unfortunately just had some mental illness. He did end up yeah. committing suicide later. Um, you know, so so D and D got pulled into it, kind of like heavy metal music gets pulled into it, and other things, you Always, know, yeah. Harry Potter and all that. You can you can look at things all through, you know, comic books back in the day too, with the, you know, the whole um, comics code code authority being created and right. and them doing away with horror comics and things like that. So there yeah. they, there are always people that are looking to put blame right. on on things that don't really don't deserve yeah, it or and, fi- and find connections that aren't there and it's right. easy enough to do to generate propaganda i mean it happens it's happened all throughout time and they just basically found uh an easy a very easy scapegoat uh to to um to link it to Exactly, and I'm not saying there's. There probably, I'm sure there are and have been people with mental that have mental issues um, with their mental health. That right. where D and D could potentially be, you know, a, a bad thing for them. But I think right. I think that is such a small number, mm-hmm. and that overall the positive aspects of Dungeons and Dragons and any other role playing game, I think far away it because you're talking about social situations and right. you know critical thinking and working yeah. as a team and all, even stupid stuff like math and stuff like that with calculating yeah, roles and things like that i think right. i think right. the, the positives outweigh it and i think and and i think people recognize that now yeah. obviously at its most popular it's ever been and i think you know i think a lot of people do realize that it can be a tool to help people that uh, you know maybe struggle with anxiety and things like that so sure. yeah but it's certainly an interesting um part of D&D's past that whole thing right. and it's worth looking into like I said if you know if, if you don't know much about it but um so um the other thing that we should talk about from the early 80s cuz I think we I think we have time here to do so is the D&D cartoon Yes. Um, and again, it sounds like I'm putting off my intro to D and D, but I didn't. No, no. Mine, mine was later. Mine no, was later. So that's no, it's good. No, but we're, we're, the timeline <laughs> that we're building here is is perfect. <laughs> yeah, that's. I'm trying to do more chronological. So yeah. let me um, let me look at the uh timeline for the cartoon because <clears throat> I know it was early '80s and uh, 1983 was season one and. Uh, for me, and we'll, you know, we'll, I'm sure we'll do a cartoon episode at some point, but, um, for me, this was the cartoon. There were some that I absolutely loved. Spider-Man and his amazing friends and, yes. Super, and uh, Super Friends, uh, you know, me being a comic book kid, those were, yeah. those were way up there for me. Mm-hmm. But if even now as a D&D fan, I think I can honestly look back and say, even putting that aside, this was my favorite cartoon, period. Yeah. So. Yeah, do you remember tuning into that? I, I remember it, and I remember how blown away I was, you know, by that that intro part, that minute intro where you see all the characters, you see Dungeon Master, you see Uni, you see T-Mat. I mean, it that one again was another component of wow. They actually were actually getting a visual representation other than what appears on the printed page, and it was amazing. Yeah, and I know there's some people that don't like that they brought. You know the the kids that are the the stars of the show. They brought them in from our world, but right. I understand why it was done. And it's a common thing in in TV and film storytelling to yeah. give you quote unquote someone to connect with, right? You know, because and the the age ranges were enough. Like you know Bobby's supposed to be eight, and I think Hank at the most. I think Hank is like seventeen or something. Yes. Yeah. You've got others all the way through. You know. Right. Um. So it's supposed to you're supposed to find someone that you connect with, and I get that. And honestly. 
they're trying to go home and back, but once they're in there, it's pretty much pure D and D. Once they're in Absolutely there, absolutely is right. I mean, and 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 I even associated a little bit to very much like the Land of the Lost live action TV show as a kid. You know, we we see the them go down into the waterfall into this land of the lost with dinosaurs and and the you know sleigh stacks, and their whole purpose is to survive and also hopefully get home so i mean i and that's where i, I kind of make the direct relation um connection like you're saying you know kids getting stuck through a time portal into a alternate dimension where fantasy and dragons exist and their their sole purpose is to try to find the right gateway to get home so i it's very much as you said a common theme but a cool way of presenting it because like you said the connectivity of association of the viewer which is usually young kids watching it you know feeling as a part of the uh, the experience right right yeah and that's a good point about land of the lost i didn't think about that but you're right that's there is that correlation between yeah. people in an unfamiliar world trying to get home right um yeah and it, it was cool because they the cartoon used like D D things pulled stuff straight out of the monster manual um including odd things too like there's uh, early on in one of the episodes there's um there's flail snails and you're like this at first i was like i don't even remember that no it turns out that i think they're in the fiend folio <laughs> so it's like yep they didn't make that up for the cartoon that's straight out straight out of D D. straight out of the book <laughs> yeah and you had you had some really cool things too like iconic parts of D D are in there like lolf the queen of the demon webs is she's she's in there right <laughs> Um, you know, and they're obviously they've been given magic weapons, but they're the way that they, they end up fighting some really high powered stuff. I mean, Tiamat is right. there. <laughs> so, right. So it'd be fun to catalog all that at some point. No, it would um, be yeah, to kind of mark do the markers of all the creatures they encountered. <laughs> yeah. Um but yeah, ran for three seasons, was um was super popular. Uh they had this was kind of interesting too. Do you remember um something else we can talk about? The the toys? Um, the action figures and stuff because I it, do, and I'm were, trying to remember if I I want to say I didn't have them, but I always lusted after them, and I think someone I knew may have had one or two of them. Yeah, so I had. I, I just want again want to look at the timeline. Um, they so this these action figures were concurrent with the um cartoon but it was a they made a strange choice they didn't do any of the they didn't do venger they didn't do the kids they didn't do dungeon master they did these other more classic D D characters yes, and I, then had a few of them in the show um like uh like war duke is in one Strongheart is in one um the evil wizard uh kellick is in one um yes. Sorry, I'm trying to – doesn't want to look them up for me. I think they were made by LJN. Um, yeah, okay. I'm looking now as well, and I do remember people having these, but I definitely didn't have them. And I always was – can I borrow this? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so I, I had quite a few, which again is weird because – 1983 so again right right when the cartoon was coming out so that they could right. tie it together I, again i had not bought any D stuff i had not played any D. I right. had a lot of these i had so i'm just going down the list i had elkhorn which um is uh a dwarf fighter and it's funny because i i have to i'll have to ask um it's i hate doing this it sounds like i'm name dropping but i'm <laughs> fortunate i'm fortunate enough through geek nation tours to have done 
the tour to Lake Geneva and spent time with Ernie Gygax and, and Jim Ward and, and Jeff Leeson. Jim Ward, who wrote Metamorphosis Alpha, the very first sci-fi RPG, and did a lot of early work on D&D. He's from right. Elkhorn, Minnesota. So I'm one, that's got to be where that name came from. Oh, I'll, have to, right. yeah. Yeah, no, I'll have to ask him about that. Correlation. <laughs> um, but anyway, I had Elkhorn, the, the dwarf fighter. I had Kellek, the evil wizard. I had Melf, the um, the elf, who was awesome because they like not only were these cool figures, but they came with really awesome weapons. Like um, yeah. like Melf's got a bow and a shield and a little dagger. Yeah. Um, I had Ringle Run, the um, the good wizard. I had Strongheart. Um, I had Zarek, the um, uh, assassin. I think he's probably a half, maybe a half orc. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I had of course the the star War Duke. Everybody loves War Duke because right. that, oh, that yeah. design that design is so iconic. I didn't have any of the big things like the um there were some dragons. Um, yeah, and it looks like I mean me just looking at a couple of the images here. I don't even think I knew or saw these in stores, and I think I remember either Riches seeing them in Riches back in the day or Ames as a kid. But yeah, and knowing that a few people may have had one or two of these, but. I don't think for some reason I don't know I'm not sure why I never got any of these I'm kind of a little annoyed that I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were I liked them a lot and they came with high quality stuff too like um like the wizards had like cloth cloaks and um a few of them had like um like uh Melf and Strongheart yeah. had uh capes that were yeah. like made out of a nice um material with kind of sparkly stuff on them and they had a right. little um they did a better job than than Star Wars with the you know the holes in the vinyl cape yes. because a they were they were an actual cloth and b they had like a little a, a real thin elastic so you could just put it over their neck right um, so it's not going to tear like a lot of the uh, Star Wars capes did <laughs> yeah yeah sliding over the, the arms <laughs> exactly yeah so so they did a really good job with this stuff um these are one that probably someday down the road I'm going to end up collecting I'll go and get off eBay or whatever because because <laughs> yeah. they're just they're just so cool I still have my War Duke but. That's great. Uh, I, no weapons, and at some point, I apparently decided it was a good idea to cut the horns off his helmet. So, oh, you're one of those yeah. modifiers. Yeah, I, yeah. I did that with action figures over the years, modifying them in ways that I, you kind of look back as an adult, like, what was my line of thinking when I did that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure why I did that, but um, <laughs> but yeah, so a very cool, you know, and very popular, um toy series at the same time as the um as the cartoon so that that 1983 to 1985 when the cartoons hitting um and super popular on saturday mornings the action figure line is doing well the game itself is doing well it's it right. really that that surge yeah uh, that you know, for D &D momentum of, yeah totally yeah so um so again they you know and at this this time they're producing a ton of Supplementary materials you mentioned, you know, deities and demigods, which right. is a an iconic book, which brings in they brought in a lot of stuff that later they had to take out because they legally they couldn't use like they had um, Cthulhu stuff in there yes. and um, Elric, you know, Michael Moorcock stuff and right. um, you know other stuff they they were able to keep because a lot of it was just <clears throat> didn't doesn't quote unquote belong to anybody because it's like Norse mythology and Celtic. Right you know things like that so gods and you know it was literally you know gods and pantheons and things like that that you could bring into D&D &D. um you know oriental adventures as you mentioned brings in 
you know, a samurai aesthetic and, and yep. the kung, kung fu, which, yeah, which was huge at the time. Yeah, totally well. huge because that and we'll I'm sure we'll connect on a ninja episode and oh, for sure. martial arts episode <laughs> at some point. But, yeah, that that book itself, you know, uh, with the imagery and the historical notes and then the tying into the, the D&D world, because it was those which I thought was unique because the cover of that book, you know, it has some almost like a like a, a, a samurai going up against a, a, a some type of asian fighter on a creature oh, yeah but, you're all, but my like i said the introduction was more what i what was more familiar to me was like the fantasy creatures now you're mixing in a little bit of normal history that is real with fantasy which i thought was a really cool way of entering it in because you know we all know about you know the deities and demigods and and mytho- mythological things and lore of civilizations, but now you're actually seeing well, samurais did exist, and there's a lot of that you know tied into, and there's a lot of you know their their belief systems, animistic and spirits and nature and whatnot. So you they did a really good job of connecting and grounding uh, real world things with you know Japanese and Asian fantasy and 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 mythology and in the spirit world, which I thought was uh, wild. Yeah, and you could also bring in. You mentioned, you know, the Asian uh, folklore things like Chinese dragons and yeah. food dogs, and and those types of things could be brought in, which was really cool, and just expanded the, you know, the whole D and D world, right. which was very smart. And of course, they're coming out with um, uh, modules all through this time, you know, adventures right. for people to run. And I've heard, and again, I and I know it's I, I sound like a douche saying this, but <laughs> I I need to ask Ernie Gygax. Um, about this because I've heard that his dad didn't think early on that people wanted published modules. Like he was creating his own world and, you know, Arneson created Blackmore and you had all these mm-hmm. different things that people had done. So so I've heard that said several times that, that Gygax didn't believe that people wanted pre-made modules. Um, so I'll have to ask Ernie if he if you knows anything about that or, or if he remembers anything about that because that seemed like such a no-brainer to put out like and and I right. I think other companies third parties were putting these things out before even really before TSR had decided to you know do their own um so um and, and you have to look at it from the perspective especially if you're a, a a newbie or young player you definitely need those guidance tools um to figure out because you know it's having the books is one thing and young kids yes we have vivid imaginations but at the same point you need a little bit of the torch-bearing trailblazing to kind of get you through. So maybe, you know, I, I, I think I looked at them as launch pads, basically, because you get, you know, the you know, fairly good structure within the modules. But then, you know, and that also brought in, and I, and I want to mention this, my absolute love of graph paper or graphing paper, because <laughs> I, would, I, I remember, you know, using the modules as templates to kind of give me, ideas for when I started to play with, you know, uh, friends uh, creating like landscapes and especially for mazes and temples or castles and stuff like that. And, 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 and using them in varying sizes to use them as, um, uh, you know, like I said, templates for, you know, especially if you're using miniatures and mixing the miniatures with the the gaming to use those as um, guidance tools to launch from. And I think it, you know, and, um, I didn't realize that, you know, there may have been some, um, uh, resi- or his opinion was maybe, maybe players don't want to have the fantasy laid out before them. But I think, you know, from my experience, I think it was super important because we didn't really know what we were doing 
um, and that helped build our world and horizons to be able to expand it further and be more creative with how we approach playing the game. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And and you could take those <clears throat> those adventures and make them your own, and that's something right. that I've I've always done. Is and I that's why I love um you know I still own a ton of modules from all different editions because they're easy enough to adapt to right. you know whatever you're playing um and and a lot of them even said you know and Gygax said early on he's like do do what you want with these you know these are this is not a, a rigid structure for you right. this is a framework for you to go the directions that you want to go in right. with yeah. and 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 that's super helpful for because all game groups are different too. Like you have you have certain you know you might have a party of of players that really like heavy role playing and puzzles and things like that, and then you've right. got the other guys that are you know the the quote unquote murder hobos that just wanna just wanna kill stuff and get treasure. You know. So, right. 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 <laughs> you know you you adapt to to who you're playing with and what you right. enjoy. So, um, yeah. It's, and do you remember, um, do you remember any of the modules or anything that you played through or that, or, or were part of, or, or that interested you? Do you, do you remember any of those in particular? I mean, visually, I mean, I, like I said, I looked for a couple last night. I looked on eBay to try to track them down and I, and I had a good handful of them and, and I enjoyed, you know, as I was getting into the, the role playing part of it, a bit more, you know, when doing either family trips or group trips or friend trips, always trying to get to the, the hobby shop, hobby shack to see what ones existed that they had available down there. Um, I also want to say, and, and quote me if I'm wrong, I think you could get some of these at Mr. Paperback. Am I wrong? Oh, about sure. That? Nope, okay, you absolutely right. could. Okay, because I, I, just talking about it again, I think that's where I got the majority of standardized ones but some of the more difficult ones that weren't offered in mr paperback thank god you could go to the hobby shack hobby shop and pick those up there but yeah the i i was that was something as i was getting into you know different styles of reading you know kind of expanding a little bit further than my comic book love as a kid but getting into other like kung fu magazine and, and uh, <laughs> sure. ninja magazine but also their D section was quite impressive there mr i mean it's amazing when and how, when we go over the you know the topics that we discuss how some of these key retail establishments really propelled us and enabled oh, us to yeah. kind of it's wild i mean it's, it's and, and most of them no longer exist and haven't been in existence for a very long time and it's it's really cool to think how you know, you don't really think of a store as impacting your life, but they really did impact our lives and how we approached things and learned, like you said, like the whole critical thinking. That's a major part of Dungeons & Dragons, assessing situations and thinking, do we proceed down this hallway because it's dark and there could be some danger there versus – or do we take this pathway, which doesn't sound like there's noise there, but it could be equally perilous. So, I mean, there was a lot of you know, critical thinking, mathematics, I mean, it, it, well beyond – pulled a lot more out of us than I think than we realized and having these stores that had that enabled us to get access to what we needed to play these games and and expand our horizons and knowledge is just phenomenal yeah for sure and I and I don't and again this whole show is driven by nostalgia and I know that we you know we talk about things very specific to us but hopefully they're relatable to to everybody but I mean it's it's not like I say with all sincerity 
Mr. Paperback, that store was so incredibly important to me as a, yeah. as a kid. And I don't know that I realized it or appreciated it no. at the time. Right. But but from comic books to, you know, I, I would I read other books, too. Um, and something we can even talk about, too, is they kind of had their own choose your adventure. Um, yes. Yeah, they did. Books as well. Um, you know, D&D later on and, and right. all that stuff was right there. And it, it really was an important place and, and I, a place it, that I went frequently. Yeah, and it, it makes you wonder whoever the ordering person was had to have been one cool person because they yeah. knew exactly what the youth of the age wanted and needed. And you know, and just even you know, kind of talking about, I remember you know getting my original Hardy Boys books there, the hardcover little sure. books there, the Nancy Drew books, and Mac Bolin and and Phoenix Force and all those ones. It's just wild how a store can have such an impact on your childhood in such a positive way. I mean, that's. Um, you don't think of that. You don't hear about those types of things in modern times of a store from your childhood having opened your expanded your horizons to, um, you know, make you want to reflect and, and be so appreciative of what you had access to. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm looking through some of the other things that came out. Um, we mentioned uh, deities and demigods and fiend folio. There was Monster Manual 2, 1983, um, Oriental Adventures, Unearthed Arcana, which was a, a big one. That collected, if I'm not mistaken, that collected a whole bunch of stuff from like Dragon Magazine, Wilderness Survival Guide, Manual of the Plains, Dragonlance, Greyhawk. Um, that's another thing too. Were you, were you did you read the um, the Dragonlance books? Were you a were you a D and D book? I want to say I have now, but I, I did not. Want I want to say at the time, no. I think I remember seeing them, but you know, there there was some other fantasy books that were in our favorite place, Mister Paperback, that I think I grabbed off the shelf that weren't directly related to the D and D world, but I was aware of them. Sure. Sure. Yep. So okay, so for me, my intro to Dungeons and Dragons, I was aware of it because as a comic book kid. They they were smart. TSR was very smart. They were like, okay, we got geeky, nerdy kids reading comic books. They're going to be our target audience too. Yes. So D&D advertisements in comic books were incredibly prevalent. Like, And not just little blurbs, like full color, the back, back cover of your comic, you know, interior. Some even designed as a single-page comic almost with panels and everything telling a story. So – I remember early on seeing right. things for D and D and being like, I don't, I don't know what this is, right. but it looks fascinating. But I have no, I think as a kid sometimes you don't understand that it's it's not that hard to jump into stuff or to ask questions or to try mm-hmm. and figure stuff. You just kind of sometimes you just see stuff and you don't understand it and you're like, well, that's cool, but I don't know. You know, right, what, right. what am I going to do with this? So right. I think I think D&D was that way for me for a right. while because I, I, I think I kind of understood that it was a game. Um, you know, I, I and part of it, too, was probably like, I don't know who I'm going to play this with if I got it. And someone's going to have to help me because it looks yeah. like this doesn't look this isn't a basic board game where you, right. <laughs> you know, move some move some pieces around and roll the right. dice. So I was always aware of it, but I, I, for whatever reason, I didn't get anything until I decided I was going to put some money towards the um, the red box, the basic D&D set. And I'm sure – and again, this was – I remember I bought it. It was Mr. Paperback in, in um, Waterville was the yep. one that I got it at, and I bought Dice at the same time, which I didn't – They had Dice there. I remember that. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, Dice came in, it, and I can't remember if I discussed – I think I did discuss it with you about like me trying to figure out if this stupid yeah. purple die – 
D12, <laughs> and it did come in my box set, my red box set. Um, because the red, the original dice that that came with the D&D basic sets were made of a weird plastic, and the numbers were not filled in, and you literally got a crayon and you rubbed yes. the wax into yep. it. Now, I never had any of those. Right. <laughs> I, I never had any of those. Um, so I had whatever came in my red box, and this was 1987. I've finally been able to to which is later. I thought I'd pick this up maybe as early as 83 mm-hmm. or, or, or 85. I probably more thought 85 because I felt like I was in junior high, but, but 87, I would have been in high school, probably a freshman yes. at that point. So, and the only reason I know that is because that's on my red box, which I still own literally like my copy that I bought at Mr. Paperback is, is upstairs on my shelf is the trademark. You know, the, it's like the first trademark, second printing, blah, blah, blah. It's 87. So it's like, okay. all right, I, I definitely didn't get it before then. Right. So, um, so finally decided it was $12. That still is on the back of the box that it was, nice. it was $12. That's awesome. <laughs> um, and I just remember I have a very vivid memory of going up to the counter and me being, you know, let's say 80, 87, I'm like, I'm 14, 13, 14 years old. And there being a cute teenage girl working the counter who apparently played D&D and she's like you're going to need more dice and she pulled out from behind the counter oh. a bunch of different dice and she's like these are my favorite and they were clear and I still have the D8 wow, and the D6. Nice. Look at those. that's awesome <laughs> they are they are all rounded off but I still I was use them noticing that they're totally no longer have yeah. the sharpened edges yeah, that's they're, great. They're, yeah wow. but they're but that's so I'm like yeah okay yeah, cute girl trying to talk me into another sale. <laughs> sure, I have I have a couple extra bucks. Absolutely. So um so so I bought it and I cracked it open. It's one of those things where and and you can still get this with certain things when you you know you get a new book or something like that where you just want to dive in and but that feeling of like opening up a box like that and everything all the possibilities that are in there and and just trying to figure out. You just want to kind of absorb it, absorb it all like right away. So I just remember opening it up and being like, holy cow, look at all this. And it even says like, you know, start with this book, like right on the cover. It says this, read this first. And so it kind of and it walks you through like a solo adventure where it has you, you know, roll dice and stuff like that. So me, an only child and I but I had, you know, I had friends down the road that I would play with or, or, you know, in in Smithfield that, you know, I would hang out with from time to time. We mostly did outdoor things like riding our bikes, swimming, you know, going going to the beach and, you know, the water slide or the arcade there at the beach in uh, in Smithfield. So I didn't have a ton of friends that I like my good friend, Scott, that lived down the road. I would we would do things like, like I would sleep over to his house all the time and he had a stack of comic books and we would, you know, we would read comic books and play, you know, play action figures and stuff like that. But we didn't really play much for board games. Sure. So, so me growing up as an only child, I learned to play games on my own and very important games to me were Stratomatic Baseball and Status Pro Baseball. Wow. And my <laughs> uncle, yeah, my uncle Mike, who's my, my mom's older brother, big sports fan and he had these games he also had stratomatic hockey and so he gave me my first sets of those and you could play by yourself with those games because it's all you had to do was you know if i'm if i'm playing baseball i coach both teams like i would you know what i mean i'd I'd be fair about it you know my lineup i try and do i you know take pictures out when you're supposed to blah 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 and then you just roll the dice or and you know status pro had cards you know that you pulled I played hundreds of those games by myself and kept stats, you know, like a season yeah. stats and all sure. that. So I was so accustomed to 
solo play that when I got that red box and I and this is awesome. I, I should have brought it down so I could show you. I still have charts because I made random dungeons that I could roll the dice and there'd be, oh, OK, there's an orc in this one or right. whatever. Right. I made it so I could play by myself. Awesome. Um, nice. Look at you uh, adapting. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what else to do because I didn't yeah, know anybody yeah. had it. So. Um, totally. So, yeah. So that was my intro. And then um, I I didn't really do much with it through college. I played. um I played Star Wars, the Star Wars D6 RPG pretty actively through college. Played a little bit of Robotech. Um, I did play some D&D, and we'll talk about second edition uh, mm-hmm. a little bit. But um, but I and I'm I'm sure I've told this story on the show. But we had that um, for whatever reason this this weekend is very important to me. That weekend at your house that we did at some point in high school, where a bunch of us went like on a Friday after school, and I don't think we left till Sunday. Yeah, right, right, right. Oh, I yeah. remember. I remember. I don't know if we actually even played, but I remember you, me, Dirkman, probably somebody else in yeah. the kitchen rolling up characters. Oh yeah. And yeah, I don't. I yeah, I don't know if we actually played or not, but I do. I just remember having a ton of fun doing that. Yeah, no, we I and that was initially like I said, I and I when I had gotten the books early on, I actually think it was at least a couple of years before other people started to kind of like you said pick up interest and momentum, you know. And I would largely would look like you would just read completely through the books, study the pictures, get to know the monsters, but I had no way of uh, applying this knowledge into a gaming format because I wasn't friends with Tuli's older brother and and all the, the people that were actually into it. I was just kind of peripherally exposed, even though I was, was collecting some of the key components to play the games. I wasn't actually physically involved in any until I think more realistically, I, I'm thinking we're probably looking at 83, eight, probably 83, 84 before we all start to kind of talk like maybe we should actually start playing this as opposed to just like having all this stuff and not doing anything with it. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so again, I don't know if we can even remember when that weekend at your house was, I'm guessing, I mean, we all drove there, so it would have had to have been probably, probably junior year maybe. So we're talking, so yeah, yeah. We're talking 89, 90 there. So, Second edition, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons Second Edition had come out by then. Came out in 1989. But do you think we were probably st- still doing first edition or basic stuff there? Or I, I honestly think we were probably still doing first edition. I just something t- tells me we were probably leaning towards the uh, the earlier than the latter. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I couldn't remember. Um, but you know, I remember you know just rolling up characters and that's still a fun thing to do with any system is to is to roll up characters absolutely is yeah yeah and there are some systems where that can be even more fun like the um i don't know if you're familiar with rifts at all but the um rifts is a very crunchy system super rules heavy i'm not a big fan overall of the the rules but their comic book supplement heroes unlimited is one of the most fun character creation things you can ever do because it's all random if you want it to be um we had a we we ended up only playing a couple sessions but my current gaming group we spent one night where we were all just sitting around drinking and you know rolling up characters and it was just unbelievable fun we were just laughing like crazy at some of the the combinations so um do you do you have memory of like the first character you played or or ones that you rolled up or favorites or anything i was obsessed with you know, 
you know, for some reason, I, I'm like, I know this for a fact because I had, and I associated directly with uh, a fighter uh, miniature, but it, but I was obsessed with paladins for some reason. Yep. Um, at paladins, half elves as a, you know, as a race. <laughs> Uh, and you know, in the in the combinations you could come up, come up with, and, I, and it's funny because I know back at you know there, there in my stepdad's place, I know that I, there is a box that has a few pieces of D and D stuff because I saw it there, and and it's funny that I because I haven't been back to Maine in a while, but I know for a fact there's a box in the basement that has some rare artifact, as in stuff that we created character character bios i mean I, I was constantly writing up character bios and then you know bringing those to the table when we when we were doing you know the the character development to to begin the games and and whatnot um but yeah and i and for some and i was thinking about like the the alignment because alignment was always important with the, t- the type of character and I, I for some reason chaotic good for some always <laughs> rang true with me and i and i me just too. think that yeah. That kind of rings I, with my personality as a as as an actual human being. Me too. I, yeah, I, I for think sure. Chaotic for good sure. for some reason was how I always aligned my characters. Yeah, no. Because there was quite a, there was quite a gamut of of choices, but for some reason, chaotic good was always the one I always leaned and and fell yeah. upon. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Except for Paladin, that's got to be yeah. true. <laughs> got to be uh, true good. Um, right. So. Yeah. The so. You mentioned playing paladins and other things like that, but do you do you have an all time like a favorite class? Like if you like if someone said you can only ever play this, is yeah. there one that that would stick out? For for me, it's ranger. Even though I like playing yeah, other things, okay. ranger has always well, been my favorite. Okay, and I think in that regard, ranger because I associate that with the Ralph Bakshi uh, Lord of the Rings film, Strider sure. being the ranger, and I and I think yes, if I had to make an association of a character. Because the visual aspect of, of the of the Bakshi film plus playing a ranger would be because that that's someone who knows the lay of the land, the geography. They know how to blend in. They, they were kind of like the the ninja of the of the time, basically. Sure. They they knew how to adapt, ask the right questions. They knew how to get into situations and get out of situations. Remain kind of a fly on the wall, but also get involved if they need to. So yeah, a ranger definitely. I I agree. That I would be a ranger. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and again, I, you know, I like a lot of the other um, classes and I also because I I've played a lot more first edition advanced Dungeons and Dragons now. Um, mm. But, you know, my the red box and my introduction was basic where right. elf was a class, dwarf was yes. a class, halfling was right. a class. And and there is kind of a I think there's a there's a certain charm to that. I like that. You know, elves were essentially fighter mages. Like they did have some spell casting, but they were, you know, able to to wield a sword and right. you know uh, handle themselves in combat as well. So that that kind of has some, you know, I, I think there's definitely some value to that approach. Um, you know, it, it is somewhat limiting, but at the same time, I like I said, I, I think it's kind of a, a charm. That, you know, quaint. <laughs> that, yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely. That type of system. Um, but obviously, yeah, much more, um, much more choices in Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, and even now, you know, now so with with Fifth, you've got it even more because they've expanded with things like, um, you know, there's differences between even spellcasters, sorcerers, and warlocks, and and straight sure. up wizards. So, right. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, favorite, uh, we've kind of covered most everything. Second edition, I'll talk a little bit about second edition because it did come out in 1989. Second, I'm hard-pressed to say it's my favorite, but I really, really love second edition. And it was a very different game, and and apparently a rules overhaul was done to distance uh, Wizards of the Coast owning it at that point um, from Gygax. Like, his name is not even in... I remember second yeah. edition. Yeah. yeah. So so that's a bit unfortunate, but but as a rule set, I really like second edition. Second was around for so long that they produced so much material and they also really fleshed out my favorite setting in D&D, which is the Forgotten Realms. Um, yes, okay. Yeah, yeah. And there's just so much supplementary material that came out for second that's really really good right. that um and when I started, you know, I ran a long campaign. We played for 6 years, the um the Crimson Cloaks campaign that I <clears throat> DM'd. Um, we started in second and we played a long time in second until fifth came out and we actually liked fifth edition. Wow. Right so I, I have a lot of hours invested in yeah, you do. <laughs> second, but I've also, now I've played first edition a bunch more over the past few years and obviously on the, the tour to Lake Geneva. So I've, I've really come to appreciate that one as well. So, um, right. but, um, yeah, I don't know. It just, um, uh, in kind of getting towards the end here, any specific memories or, or specific adventures or game nights or anything I, I like that? Just, you know, I, rem- I remember, I just remember one of the, yeah, obviously the, the tie into the, uh, to the, um, the, the figurines, the miniature portion of it was so important because obviously that, you know, the painting thing was, was one component, but just acquiring unique miniatures that your friends didn't have so basically you guys could kind of compare and contrast when you brought everything together that was always important to me to have the miniatures aspect of it when that was brought into it that basically really um put a like kind of a face to just the the game that we were playing on paper basically so um and there would be often times where i you know enjoyed setting up you know, you know, there were there was creations of dioramas as well to kind of accommodate not just like on a tabletop, but you know, creating or bringing in like moss and stuff like that to to kind of create. So if, uh, we had this unique slab coffee table. We had two of them: one in my dad's office and one upstairs in um, our living room in back home. And it had normally a lot of actually potted plants that my mom uh, managed and took care of. But I would, you know, sometimes take those off and then bring in natural elements from the outside world being outside on our property. It could be rocks, moss, twigs, and those would be used on that, you know, it, it was a it was a high gloss table that my mom had refinished, but I had and it was, it was very the nice thing about it was and the reason why I was doing this was because it was easy to clean off from the dust and the grime and the, and the sh- shit that you would bring in from the outside. <laughs> right. So it would make it a little more authentic. So I, I was big on the authentic representation of the game as we're playing. It was also it was comfortable in the living room there, but uh, to sit on the variety of chairs that we had, you know, the couches and stuff. But it also having a gaming platform. Uh, to play on and to, you know, and you know, we would have, you know, books and and modules on our sides and whoever was DMing could, but then we would actually be able to move the physical pieces around and recreate. And, and, and I'm just fascinated, and this ties into kind of our whole discussion, I follow so many different startup campaign companies, you know, not for purchase, but just to see what they're producing out there in the miniatures world. I know we've talked about miniatures before. Um, there are just so many companies that are producing en masse, unique, limited edition ones. You get bonus figures. 
and I'm so happy to see and you know that they've that it seems like the the industry has migrated from you know the original I'm not they weren't pewter what were they uh, the initial ones made out lead. of was Early okay lead, lead. Yeah. yeah good safe lead uh, <laughs> right. to like the plastic composite ones that they do now which obviously that you it's probably way more inexpensive and they can do a lot more variety but it's just so cool to see because a lot of the D&D figure act, the figurines that we grew up with were almost more representative of what you see in the like the monster manual they were kind of rough yeah. looking nowadays from what i'm seeing produced online and and what people have access to and what you've told me about they're a lot much more detailed they're they're, they're actually heroic you're you're seeing conan style chest and pectoral <laughs> muscles versus yeah. rough looking you know um uh like dwarves and halflings that look like they've been battle weary and, and gone through hell so uh the figurine aspect of it and the miniature aspect of it was huge um as i was as the momentum was picking up as being the playable representation of moving around um on a surface basically yeah yeah the um the the way that that has expanded and blown up is crazy the you should you know I know you ride your bike all over the place. If you know, if you happen by a um, by a hobby shop you mm. know, or a comic comic store, most of them are you know do double duty now. Most of your comic places yeah. will sell D and D and Magic the Gathering and all that. Pop your head in and just take a look at some of the minis because it's it is insane. Like they they produce them specifically now for D and D that are. I think at this point, if you said, "Oh, I'm a female tiefling warlock," it's like, okay, here's six different minis you can choose from. Wow, That's that. okay, so, exactly. In yeah. depth. Okay, that's so that that just blows my mind. I, I'm just fascinated looking at the finished and unfinished photos, but the the level that this that looks like they've taken it to, it narrows it right down to your specific. That's that's yeah. wild. Yeah, and the the D and D ones that they produce now are are not expensive. They're you I think two two come in a pack and it's like five bucks. They're um wow. okay yeah. Yeah, they're, they're and they're they're great detail and they're they're fun to paint. Yeah, it's it is funny how far that's come. Um, one of the th- and and I think that is an important aspect of it. Like when we were playing our campaign, um, I always made sure whatever the big bad guy was for the for the night was I had a fully painted mini and all my players had um, had their character painted up and they would bring them every night and uh, right. you know so yeah that was that was important and it's it is nice to have that visual and sure. they sell there's so many other things that they sell like you can get everything from you know dry erase mats to just kind of draw your your dungeon out on the table to really super detailed stuff there's a company called dwarven forge that does amazing um, you know really cool dungeon pieces that are modular and you can set up and uh, her starts um, like literally, I think it's one guy um, does these molds, and you just mold the pieces, and then you put them together yourself. Those are super fun. So there's wow. there's tons of possibility out there. But um, yeah. Uh, oh, the only other thing I want to ask about is, and you know, maybe as as kids, you guys didn't think of this as much, but this was more. This has become more important to me as an adult. Um, is to kind of have music, background music, like um, you know, we would often have. During our, our Crimson Cloaks one, we would throw things on for anything from the Lord of the Rings soundtracks to oh, nice. the 82 Conan the Barbarian soundtrack, you know, things like that. Do you remember ever ever having any more ambiance like musicals? That's funny for- you say that. And uh, honestly, for someone who loves his music as much as I did, I don't recall us having that. And that's really good that you guys do have that because that actually puts you in the realm and mindset of – 
that type of music. Orchestral things would, I think, super accommodate. But strangely enough, in that, you know, my dad had a built-up um, record player stereo system in our living room where we did most of the, of the gaming. Didn't have any going. That's um, that's that's good. That's really cool that you, you guys do have that. But as a kid, no. Strangely enough, no music playing. <laughs> yeah, and it's cool because now, you know, and again, everything's, you know, been modernized. But there are, you know, specific soundscapes that people have created for playing D&D or even just simple stuff like um, – the, the Dungeon Crawl Classics uh, campaign that I play in um, uh, that's run by my friend Jericho, we play on Discord, and Discord has a little thing called Rhythm that you can pull wow. into your into your chat, and then you, you give it a URL like on – on YouTube, you know, somebody's posted, oh, here's 20 straight hours of fantasy music. You just plug that in, and it really? goes in the background, and you can hear it while you're, you know, playing and oh, talking. that's awesome. So, stuff like that is super cool. And yeah. one more thing that we should obviously mention, um, I just mentioned Dungeon Crawl Classics. Obviously, D&D is the grandfather of all role-playing games, and honestly, Video games too, like all the video games that are super popular. That you know, um, everything from Legend of Zelda to Skyrim to all that type of stuff would yeah. not exist without. Of D&D. course, it yeah. would not. Um, so there's obviously been Gauntlet. hundreds. Lest we that? forget Gauntlet. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, that was that was that 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 was the another a live action uh, representation that we had control of. Look at all the skeletons coming at us. <laughs> shoot, 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 shoot with your bow and arrow. Why exactly. do they keep coming? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all that stuff. So, um, yeah, that, so it is. Uh, I just did at least want to mention. Obviously, so many things have come out of yeah. it. And even in the TSR days, when D and D was doing stuff, they did other stuff. Like, you know, I mentioned Metamorphosis Alpha and Gamma World, and they did Top Secret, which was like a James Bond one, and they did yeah. an Indiana Jones supplement mm-hmm. and all those things. So, so many things came out of it too that have that have you know gone on to to great success on its own. So, and, and it's, know, um, no, not to cut you off, but I know we talked uh, about on the tie-in of. The, like, the, w- how D&D has influenced so many different mediums um, and the, the latest uh, the latest uh, release of Castlevania um, on Netflix it's it really pulls together so many wicked aspects of the dungeon Dungeons and Dragons world of creatures and whatnot that I'm just really thrilled <laughs> that yeah. they did that. Yeah, I haven't seen the new season yet. My my older son keeps bugging me to watch it because he's um because <laughs> he, he's watching it. But um yeah yeah, so many things have their origin and and their can trace their lineage back to D and D. So it's um yeah it's it's safe to say it really has defined and changed a lot of um, pop culture. Right. Awesome. Well, this was super fun to talk about D and D. Is there anything else you want to mention or anything else we didn't touch on? No, I mean I think we we I mean we we covered pretty much every aspect. <laughs> That uh, that we were directly and indirectly uh, related to and influenced by uh, <laughs> in the D and D world. Absolutely, yeah. Just you know, it it means a lot to me for you know from a nostalgic standpoint and being a kid and picking up that red box to all the hours that I've invested with my friends, you know, over the last ten years or so. And um, so it it's it's very important to me. Uh, and um, so it's always nice to, to share that stuff, which is, you know, that's what we do on the show. So. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. Well, Brad, thank you very much, as always. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. 
Yeah, absolutely. You are welcome. And thank you, listeners. We appreciate you. And uh, thank you, Geek Nation Tours, our sponsor. Please do check out Geek Nation Tours. Come to Lake Geneva with us. It is unbelievable. And we are still hopeful to do a trip in 2021. Um, you know, we... we we're hopeful. So, um, uh, but if not, you know, if you can't make it for that in 2022, we plan to keep going because we had such an amazing time and uh, going to RPG Mecca and, and playing with legends and playing in the house where D&D was born. I cannot stress how much that meant to me and how important it is. And if um, if you are, you know, a D&D fan like, like myself, you will have so much fun with us. So please do check out Geek Nation Tours. Uh, again, thank you, Brad. Have a super day today. I hope you have some fun adventures out there. I will. I will. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening. As always, join us again next month on Ego. Until then, we want to remind you, always check for traps. Listening to Ego, the 80s Geek Out podcast with Ian Clark and Brad Anderson. We are a part of the Freebooters Network. Check out thefreebootersnetwork.com to listen to all the awesome podcasts on the network. We also invite you to check out our sponsor, Geek Nation Tours, at geeknationtours.com and interact with our Facebook page, ask questions, offer comments, and critiques. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.